Hello and welcome to The Yarn. I'm Marius Cumming. This is a podcast from the Australian wool industry. And first of all, a big thank you to you for helping to get us to our first anniversary. This podcast is unique as it uses audio from AWI staff simply recording what they do on their mobile phones from around the world. And The Yarn is also the only podcast of its kind across Australian agriculture. Okay, so it's been a phenomenal 12 months for wool and we'll talk a little bit about the drivers for the market over the next 10 minutes or so and how sustainable it is. And here a really interesting story from Western Australia where a mystery around pasture losses has been solved. So first, let's hear from AWI Stuart McCulloch who believes merino wool is a $20 fibre. I do because um, cashmere is a $100 fibre. Um, and 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 the uh, the fibre characteristics of cashmere and, and wool are precisely the same. It's just keratin. Uh, the scale structure, scale height are exactly the same. In fact, they're indistinguishable under any microscopy. So they're exactly the same fibre. Um, the only thing about cashmere is it's slightly finer on average. Um, but we've got wools that are as fine as cashmere. Um, but you get the you get better length. So in in my view. Uh, you you have all the attributes of cashmere and more, um, so I don't see any reason why it should be, uh, you know, even twenty percent of of a, a pr- the price of cashmere. So I think it has some some runway yet to go. Now the the, the market commentary over the years has been interesting, and people have been saying, oh, uh, the, uh, the higher price is is due to a less uh, a, a, a reduction in supply. Um, as time has gone on, it's looked more like demand is the true driver of this market rather than supply, given supply has actually gone up. One of the drivers is that um, it, it, it might be just increasing slightly, but it's not going to increase dramatically, and the world's looking at the supply that we've got now. Um, there's a number of uh, reasons why demand goes up, but, but I have no doubt that the strategies that we put in place back in 2010 to... Uh, aggressively market our fibre in the Northern Hemisphere have played some part in this, there's no doubt uh, in my mind, um, because we can correlate an increase ever since there uh, that's gone $10 a kilogram. Eight years ago the market was $7.50, today it's $17.60. So we've actually grown the market by $10. Now there's other things that have impacted on that, the emergence of the sports and outdoor market and, and athleisure market that's helping us along. But we've been chasing this market also for, for a good five years now. We've had, we've had big programs, big product development programs in this area. So although uh, we've had our marketing going full steam in the Northern Hemisphere, we've also had product development projects going with these athleisure and run businesses and outdoor businesses all over the globe for many, many years. And if you, if you want to reference that, all you have to do is go back and have a look at some of my AGM presentations. I've always, uh, for eight years, featured the active um, outdoor sector. So that's, uh, that's helping us along. The other thing I suppose that's helping us along is soft tailoring. We're starting to see suits deconstructed, uh, the fusings and interlinings and paddings being taken out of them. And that is making wool um, a little bit more acceptable in the shoulder seasons of spring, summer. And that, and I think that's helping us as well. But there's a number of things. You need a lot, lots of links of luck and good fortune and hard work to bring off um, a profound change like we've seen um, in the last eight years, a market increase by $10 a kilogram. So you think it could be around for a little bit longer? What have you been saying to growers that say, well, 
Stuart, is this something that we can bank on for a few years? Is it a flash in the pan? I know. I've been saying that for eight years. <laughs> so I'm pretty consistent. I'm not going to... I'm not going to pull up uh, uh, in December 2017 and say it's not going on. It's going on, all right. I, I have no doubt about that. There's certainly uh, the mass demand for wool. We're not going to take our foot off the accelerator with our marketing either. We're going to actually double down in, in the new year and, and launch a big consumer awareness campaign in the Northern Hemisphere. We've already appointed the agency for that. Um, so we think um, now's not the time to stop, that we're just seeing um, uh, the, the real yielding of uh, some of those programs that we've uh, put in place. Uh, so look, I, I think there's uh, lots of upside to this. I, I've always believed it's a $20 fibre and I'm kind of not going to be happy until it is a $20 fibre, to be honest. Looking forward into uh, the next 12 months, uh, obviously there's the wool growers get the opportunity to vote on, on the future of the company next year as well. Yeah. What are the other major of projects that you're uh, uh, looking at working on in the next 12 months? Yeah, well, look, I, I, as, as I mentioned, the, the, um, the consumer awareness campaign is going to be a big part of uh, 2018. There's no doubt about that. That will launch about the same time that we're going going live with Woolpole. Um, uh, so that's a, that's a big marketing strategy. Um, I, I, I learnt this morning that we've signed our, um, our first um, joint uh, marketing project with, with Adidas, uh, in Nuremberg, that's come through this morning for the for the um, performance challenge project. It's going to be underway uh, this year, and that's really a um, the performance sports uh, sports and fabric development version of the international Woolmark Prize. So that's a very exciting um, program that's uh, about to kick off. Um, the the Merino Lifetime Productivity Project is our biggest project we've got in the on-farm area. A very important piece of work that, that goes on that's got another seven years of runway left in it. So they're, they're, they're three really big ones. But, you know, Woolpole, we've also got a review of performance um, next year, which is a standard part of uh, what we do. We, uh, we have a review of performance that uh, we provide to wool growers before they go and vote um, at, 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 at Woolpole. And uh, Wool Q, the Wool Exchange Portal, yeah. uh, launching mid-year as well. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I neglected to mention that. that that's one of our biggest uh, and more ambitious uh, projects. Uh, that's ticking along very nicely. I, I saw that we had a big grower group in here yesterday, uh, working with the team to try and fine-tune the registration and all those things. So, so yeah, that's a big part of uh, 2018. A very exciting project. It's taken. Well, look, we've literally had three years of consultation uh, on that, probably more, three and a half years of consultation. Um, and now we're properly in a build phase and we're already going to start to, uh, in the early part of next year, we're going to start to roll out some of those modules and make sure that wool growers are aware of them and see whether we can attract uh, you know, wool growers, wool brokers and wool exporters to, to function on that platform. So 2017, a busy year. <laughs> Um, glad an, it's inter over. an interesting year. Uh, many of us are glad it's over, but um, uh, market going well and uh, lots to look forward to in 2018. Thanks for joining us on the yarn again. My pleasure. Thanks. Don McDonald is the newest board member at AWI. He is the first wool broker to be elected to the board but is also a significant wool grower from Dubbo in New South Wales. He recently attended a AWI briefing day across research, development and marketing. The one thing that sort of rammed home to me today is that, that there's a lot of stuff going on on behalf of wool growers. 
and and that the wool growers' best interests are always top of mind. So, um, th as I say, that that's uh, a very worthwhile exercise uh, in terms of just uh, you know recounting where we're at in in the backdrop of a very good wool market, very positive. There's a lot of very positive things to talk about. So, just for those that don't know, um, you're a, a a wool grower, um, but also a wool broker from uh, from Dubbo in in New South Wales, and um, so in terms of your representation on the board, obviously it was uh, shareholders, wool grower shareholders that uh, elected you on. But as a broker, what also do you bring to the board? I've run my own business since 1988, so I've been there long enough to have um, seen the last genuine peak in the wool market then the demise of the levy-funded Australian Wool Corporation, went through the years of horror with the stockpile, was involved in, in the early foundation of the Australian Wool Exchange, and largely I got involved in that because there was a void left behind by the collapse of the floor price and the Wool Corporation, and also got involved because the uh, stockpile management was affecting wool growers at the farm gate. To, to have experienced that and, and, and also now be in an area where since probably 2005 or six we could say we're truly in a free market, the whole pipeline has, it took, it took a long time for the pipeline to readjust to uh, not having the godfather overlooking the industry and um, quite frankly we like it the way it is now. Uh, it is the most exciting time to be a wool grower in the last 40 or 50 years. Um, certainly I've been involved in the industry for nearly 40 years so as far as I'm concerned now is, is the, the most exciting time we've seen and one of the reasons that I thought uh, I would try and contribute to being part of that, um, being able to um, cross you know, post farm gate connections with uh, not just other wool brokers but all the exporters and downstream processes. I believe that's um, um, skills that I have that will help in whatever del deliberations there are that require that. The wool market is absolutely rocketing along. Um, it is quite extraordinary to see what's uh, happening there. You just alluded to it. Just how sustainable do you think it is uh, at these current levels? Oh, look, I think if, if, if you go back to the, the last time the market was genuinely good, and, and I think this, this week uh, we've only just passed the real price of 20 micron wool from 1988. So to put that into perspective, yes, the market's very good, but we for, fle for fleece wool's finer than 20 micron. We have seen them before. We saw them 30 years ago. Um, not inflationary adjusted prices, but actual real prices. The 20 micron indicator passed 1900 yesterday, and that's where it was in 1988. But we've got a whole different set of, set of circumstances now that are not going to be repeated. We don't have a floor price. We don't have market in intervention. We, we have a market that is truly a free market and we've got 60 to 60, 70 million sheep compared to 200 million sheep. And the rest of the world produce, you know, they, they, their production has fallen as well. So we're not going to be able to oversupply this market any time soon. Uh, if we're developing new markets, and this is where AWI is key to this, 
is moving into areas that are new with, with a new age of consumers, which they're doing, that to me gives us more confidence about long-term sustainability. In terms of wool growers looking to the future, the biggest challenges they have are not going to come from within the industry. They're going to come from either climate or interest rates. And they've been so good for so long that in the back of your mind, sometime they'll have to start going up. But it's not going to come from um, problems from within the industry, which is where it came from before. So that gives me a lot of confidence that we've actually, we've learned from our mistakes, we're not going to make those mistakes again, and as long as we can manage the climate, I think the world's our oyster in terms of growing wool. And I suppose it's interesting in terms of looking at uh, 1998, we don't have a reserve price scheme, there's no stockpile, uh, we've got uh, China humming, we're that's not, right. not, we don't have the USSR that's about the to fall Eastern over, that's all right. those things, yes. so uh, interesting days. Um, Again, welcome to Australian Wool Innovation and uh, thanks for your time on the yarn. Um, looking forward to getting to know you a bit more over the years to come. I'm looking forward to the journey myself. <laughs> thanks, Tom. Thanks, Marius. I'm here with Melissa McCauley, the Project Manager for Feedbase and Eco Credentials. Now, Melissa, could you tell us a little bit about the Redleaf Clover Syndrome in WA? Thanks, Ella. So we were contacted by growers in Western Australia in early September uh, as a result of some farmer consultation that we did and some on-site visits to the Esperance area. We discovered that they've been experiencing um, some issues with subclover in the region. Coming back to the office, we started investigating the issue to find that it's quite, it was quite extensively throughout Western Australia and that we needed to really do something to support these producers and find an answer to the, to the problem. And so what was the process of uh, finding the problem and the solution? Yeah, so the problem we um, started consulting with some of our producers, we used our um, farmer networks, which is who were very supportive and fantastic throughout the process. We set up an online survey together with MLA. We've put our thinking caps together and uh, set up an online survey. And with the very generous and kind support of DeepHerd, the Department of Primary Industries Research and Development in Western Australia, they went out onto farm and started collecting some samples of the affecting plants to bring back for testing in their laboratory. Now, can you just tell me a little bit about the syndrome and, and what it meant for farmers out there. Sure. So subclover uh, producers in Western Australia and throughout Australia as well are uh, quite reliant on subclover in their production systems. Over the years, AWI, MLA and many other org research organisations have contributed to research of some new sort of novel legumes like your bicerula, your cerradellas, etc., which producers are having great success with, and justifiably so, they're amazing legumes for, for pasture systems. However, the reliance on subclover still exists uh, because they are manageable, they're persistent, and they're reliable predominantly most of the time. However, in recent years with different climatic conditions, they've been experiencing this dieback of the subclover, uh, and also now known as this red clover, uh, red leaf clover syndrome. So we needed to find some answers for them to help them to still continue to be able to use that, the subclover in their systems. Okay, and so this project, what did it find was the problem for this syndrome? So DeepHerd, of course, undertook the testing in the laboratory. 
we now have a report, an official report from them, uh, with returning uh, returning samples of eight in the order of eighty percent are testing positive for soybean dwarf virus. So that's an, and it's an amazing outcome. It gives us it gives us a definitive answer. It gives us a benchmark, and it gives us a place to start in finding a management solution for these for our producers, and also to then undertake some research to perhaps find some alternative species that may be more resistant to this particular virus. And so this is what will be happening in the coming months. Yes, so we've got a we've put together some three teams. We've got a short-term team, a medium-term team and a long-term team. Um, and the, in the short term, we've got a media release going out to our producers uh, before Christmas, just letting them know what the results of the survey and the um, and the lab testing was. Then just after Christmas, hopefully we don't experience um, an early break in the in the upcoming season for subclover, because we believe that's a contributing factor to exacerbating um, for heightened instances of the virus. Uh, we'll put together a decision-making tree, some supporting documentation for our producers, a bit of a glove box guide that will help them to make the best decision for their system. Fantastic. Well, it seems like it's been a great result. It has. <laughs> really, and, um, really fortunate. Yeah, and, and fantastic that you and, and all your colleagues can get a result out yeah. of such a short term. Yeah, look, it's, I think it's a, it's a perfect example of what, some cl what collaboration can deliver um, and just great support from DPIRD, of course, and MLA in this instance to get these results for our growers. Fantastic. Well, thanks for speaking with me, Melissa. Thanks, Ella. That was Melissa McCauley, Project Manager for Feedbase and Eco-Credentials at AWI. And that's the yarn for this week and indeed 2017. We'd like to thank all our contributors for their insight into the wool industry and of course our loyal listeners. Your feedback has been fantastic. Wishing you all a Merry Christmas and we look forward to continuing our yarn in the new year. Music